0: Hello listeners, Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to UFOs Above Canada, a nighttime podcast series exploring the people, the events, and the concepts that surround the Canadian UFO experience. Welcome back to UFOs Above Canada, an ongoing nighttime series that gives equal attention to underground bassist manned by reptiles and spandex as it does to faint white dots filmed with people's phones. In tonight's episode, I invited regular guest and friend of the show, Chris Rutkowski, for a talk about, well, we actually had a lot to talk about. First of all, in all my time knowing and regularly communicating with Chris, he never thought to mention the fact that the Canadian government's official process for UFO reports includes him, a strange relationship that only became public as a result of freedom of information requests by several journalists and civilian investigators. So yeah, of course Chris and I are going to get into that. But besides that, he also has a new book called Canada's UFOs Declassified to tell us about. And we need to discuss the topic of UFOs being brought up by a member of parliament during recent hearings in Ottawa. So yeah, we got a full plate, so let's just jump into it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, Chris Rutkowski and I will discuss, among many other things, his role as the Canadian government's UFO guy. Chris A. Rutkowski is the the middle initial A. Is this new? What's this? Uh, no, it's because I'm Canadian. A. Okay? Uh ha, ha That's that's <laughs> E H. I noticed on your new book it's A period. I've never seen uh, the only people who seem to have like a middle initial are like really important authors or presidential assassins.
1: Well, I I could be one of those, but uh, it turns out that there are actually a number of Chris Rutkowskis already uh, on social media and uh, who have published a, a lot of books, um, oh. mostly in the arts field. It turns out that there's a, a Chris Rakowski who's a famous musician. Uh, one is a famous uh, artist, a painter. Uh, there is a Chris Rakowski who is actually the producer of uh, um, uh, Buzz Lightyear, the uh, the original okay. uh, Buzz Lightyear uh, okay. show, things like that. And there's actually a Chris Rakowski who builds titanium, titanium bicycles. So... You know, there's a lot of us out there, and this is the way to distinguish me from all of them.
0: Okay, cool. I, it stood out when I saw your new book that on the cover, that the, the AF, just I've never seen that yeah. before. So n- now that makes sense. Uh, and I, I wonder if they do interviews, and they're like, and there's one in Canada who's like an, <laughs> a UFO researcher slash insider. Uh, but anyway, before we get to your book, I want to start with that. When, when I did my last UFOs Above Canada, like UFO-themed episode, I was... Um, talking a, a a lot about you uh, because you've been in the news for your connection to the I guess like the official process of investigating or reporting UFOs in Canada from our government uh somewhere along the official chain of command in these in investigating these reports involves contacting a civilian named Chris A Rudkowski <laughs> um I don't think we've we've never talked about this before is this something you kind of kept you know, closely guard it and then somehow it became public well it's
1: uh it's never been secret that i've been receiving uh cases and reports from the government from uh transport canada the uh, uh, canadian forces and the rcmp over the years um and i've been you know publishing uh some of this stuff online uh posting it on facebook and uh, on uh, twitter and so forth um and um uh, th- what was discovered was that I had actually briefed or ma- uh, submitted information uh, used in a brief to the Canadian Minister of National Defense last year. Uh, and uh, I had actually been contacted by various polit- politicians over the years, uh, just as a matter of course. But um, I do remember that back uh, in kind of like May, June, this time last year. I had received a uh, uh, an email from Canadian Forces um, because they were preparing a brief for the then Minister of Defence uh, Harjit Sajjan uh, about UAP because this was exactly the same time that uh, the, you know the UAP task force was re- report was released in the states and there was some discussion and you know NORAD might have something to do with it. And since Canada's partners with NORAD, you know, the Canadian Minister of Defence should have some knowledge of this. So they needed to know the background um, of how it came to be that I uh, had, you know, started receiving the reports. And I sent them a a whole bunch of uh, documents over the, that I'd, you know, been prepared over the years. I told them about the Canadian UFO survey um, and uh, uh, sample reports that some of which they had apparently never seen. I don't, I don't know why, but um, uh, and that's the last I heard of it. Um, and, uh, a, a diligent, uh, reporter, there's a lot of people are filing, uh, access to information requests all the time and <laughs> in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a number of people doing that. And somebody had found, uh, the briefing, uh, slide or rather the slides from the briefing that had been given to Harjit Sajjan. And, um, I'm actually mentioned on one of the slides. In fact, in the unredacted version of one particular slide, there's actually my photograph. So mm-hmm. uh, the Minister of National Defense knows who I, what I look like. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, mm-hmm. i'm I'm sure I'm in a few other databases now. i I can't imagine why. Um, but anyways, uh, it talked about how uh, the minister of Ministry of Defense or the National Defense, uh, had started uh, sending me cases uh, over the years, working uh, after, after the end of the National Research Councils, finishing with the RCMP and receiving the cases. And um, and it's, that's that's how it came to be. And this also Wait. was coincidental Wait. with... Um, uh, I'd also received a request from Larry McGuire, the Member of Parliament from, oddly enough, Manitoba, uh, who had also um, requested a briefing on what I knew about the UFOs and UAP, so I gave him a briefing as well. Um, unbeknownst to me, he had also been, at the same time, been given briefings by Louis uh, Elizondo um, and uh, uh, Harold Putoff, you know, some of the big names in the States, also to, to talk about UAP. And that came to light fairly recently, uh, where he, uh, Larry McGuire, uh, raised a, a question in a committee uh, in Parliament on uh, uh, on actually supply and services Canada about uh, because they have the the uh, jurisdiction of protection of of uh, uh, the nuclear sites that are in Canada Atomic Energy of Canada and so forth and he was concerned about drones that were being flown over uh, you know some of these nuclear sites and I'd actually provided a list of uh, UFO cases from the Canadian UFO survey uh, to him, some of which were included in that report uh, that wow. he had actually published uh, on uh, online on his own site. Um, and actually, I, there's another list of about 50 uh, cases that have yet to be uh, published, but I provided that to him as well. And since then, Larry's gone on to go public about his interest in UAP. And then another MP asked a question just the other day uh, in uh, in a parliamentary committee. So it's quite interesting that it's all starting to, to happen all at once.
0: Yeah, in, in, like because you've been involved in this forever. And there's always been a discussion about, you know, what does the government know? How interested are they? Will they ever get involved? It just seems like that's really ramped up over the last year or so. Like, are you surprised to see so much um, government statements and kind of action happening in the UAP or UFO space at this point?
1: Well, I am and I'm not because, uh, I mean, there have been a lot of questions raised about UFOs um, in, uh, in the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. Uh, over the years. So there's, you know, this is not unprecedented. Um, It's interesting that there's a lot more interest in it right now, largely because I think what's happening in the States and, you know, we get Louis Elizondo involved and and Putoff, and they sort of are a driving force in the States and there's, that's bleeding over into Canada and Larry McGuire getting briefed by them sort of adds fuel to this sort of thing. So um, that's certainly uh, increasing some of the interest here in Canada um but it's true i mean there there are some diligent reporters out there who have made notice there i think there was a, a wire sto- wire service story um that was uh in the papers today recognizing that uh, a number of members of parliament are interested in uh in uap and they actually um questioned uh, the minister in charge of security uh uh marco um uh, oh, the name's escaping me. Marco, market. Anyways, the the, the minister himself mm-hmm. um, uh, on the question of UAP, and he, they said, you know, what are what is Canada doing? Uh, is your department because he oversees CSIS and the the RCMP and so forth? And um, he said, well, I assume that the you know the Canadian forces in, are in charge of this, and uh, he didn't have any. He was personally not briefed himself, so. You know we'll see what comes of that but uh, uh, you know the minister just just
0: had no idea how to respond to a question like that in a committee that was thrown at him from left field absolutely and uh, you mentioned earlier it was brought up I I think um, by a senator from Manitoba as well just last week well what was that all about were you involved in that in any way
1: Uh, well actually I was requested uh, for um, if there were any recent UFO cases or UFP cases involving the RCMP that uh, she wanted to use in her briefing mm-hmm. or her in her, her question uh, raised in the committee. So I, I was, I mean, it's interesting that they come to me for the information because I'm the guy who is, you know, coordinating the Canadian UFO survey and well, you're doing their job in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. There is a pretty funny letter to the editors uh, published in a
0: in a Manitoba newspaper. Um, I, I have it in front of me. Want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead read it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> the letter's uh, titled The Truth Is Out There and here's what they say. Regarding UFOs are no laughing matter, says MP who wants the sightings probed, which is a May 18th article. So this letter to the editor says, regarding this article, I am prompted to reply to MP Larry McGuire's suggestion that a committee be established to bring clarity to the unidentified aerial phenomena situation. If the sightings are indeed real physical objects, it would be a waste of taxpayer money to investigate them as judging from their attributes, whoever is flying them is far more advanced than we are, as they can move in Ways that are physically impossible from our understanding of physics. It's probably best to let Chris Rutkowski look continue to look into this matter for free. And that's signed, <laughs> Michael Dowling. I like that.
1: Yeah, I obviously have to get a a, a better contract. You know, because of the free thing is is really a problem. But yeah, yeah, I've been doing my public service for the Canadian public for for many many years now, um, and that's actually kind of how I got into it too. Because uh, back in the nineteen nineties. When the National Research Council was uh, getting out of the UFO business, um, they were looking for ways to do this because, you know, the the Office of the Non Meteoric Sightings File, which was what the UFOs were called back then, um, uh, was a line item in the uh, budget for the Hertzberg Center for Astro Hertzberg Institute for Astrophysics, which was mm. then becoming part of the Canada Space Agency. And they really didn't like the fact that there would be UFOs mentioned in their budget. So they were certainly looking for a way that uh, research uh, and collection of UFO reports could continue to be done um, without spending any money. Mm. And I just happened to be in Ottawa when some of this discussion was going on. And I sort of half jokingly said, well, you can always just send the reports to me because I'm interested. And, you know, I I'd, I'd gladly take a look at them. <laughs> and that's how it started so um, it's not unprecedented that uh uh, that you know there's this aspect of funding or lack of funding came up it's not unprecedented that uh you know politicians have raised the issue of ufos uh, and now uap um in uh, uh you know in parliament it's and it's not unprecedented that uh, politicians are interested because it's uh, it's something that's been going on for quite some time. And the fact that i people have reached out to me uh, within government uh, to either confer or get information uh, about uh, UFOs and UFP in Canada because you know we have something like 23,000 separate cases now uh, since 1989. Um, and one of the things I'm doing with uh, with some of my uh, colleagues is going back into history and gathering up additional cases uh, you know be, uh, earlier than 1989 to see if there are any cases that we've missed um, and uh, looking for additional cases that might be in the government
0: files. Yeah. I guess as time passes and kind of the the fads change and UFOs become kind of in and out of popularity as far as like pop culture goes, do you find yourself uh, kind of moving from like crazy UFO guy to kind of political insider to crazy <laughs> UFO guy? Like, has it changed like that over the years? Well, my wife. Still thinks of me as a
1: crazy UFO guy, no matter <laughs> what. Uh, my kids, oh, you don't want to get into that. My kids,
0: <laughs> but what about when in, you know an MP calls you and they're looking for a statement? Is your wife? She probably thinks you're making it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, um, it's very rare.
1: Uh, I mean, people are saying uh, uh, in ufology that you know it's interesting that mainstream media are taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say that in my, mm, I don't know. Forty-five-ish years of being involved in ufology and and being public and and talking to media about this, it's been very very rare that there's been uh, ridicule of any sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can I can barely think of a, a you know a handful of times when that's been the case, um, because uh, there is a serious aspect to it, and because I'm not going off talking about uh, little green guys and I'm not wearing. Uh, tinfoil hats and, and uh, you know, communicating telepathically with the Zetens and things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm just talking about the facts. And, and you can talk about UFOs and UFP without invoking aliens whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, leave that to the speculation on where or whatever the data uh, leads you. I'm simply talking about things that were actually reported. I emphasize this constantly when I'm giving presentations. Um, I'm giving a, a, a presentation to a um, conference in Brazil next month uh, about uh, what Canada' is doing with regard to UFOs and UIP mm. and uh, you know I'm the the strongest thing that we can go with is the actual reports that are made by pilots uh, air traffic control operators RCMP and so forth and even the citizens who are making the reports legitimately and they're not uh, pulling the wool over people's eyes uh, that they're actually seeing things this is these are what people are actually seeing. And you don't have to embellish uh, uh, any of this stuff. These are documented facts, and we actually have the documents. In fact, the government documents alone in Canada are tens of thousands of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, of pieces of paper and, and cases. So we've got a lot of reports uh, that testify that something is being experienced by Canadians. and. You know that by itself uh, can't lend itself to ridicule because these are the facts,
0: and a lot are very good, high-quality observers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the amount of reports uh, and the high-quality observers that you're discussing, that that's a great segue into your book. You um, <laughs> you you have a whole series of books at this point that you've put together, but the what the one that just came did it just come out last week? It came out. Uh, yes, it came out actually this week <laughs> okay you got it in your hand there for the
1: people I, in fact i d- i'm doing this because i literally just got this copy today this oh, afternoon I, I watched your unboxing Look, the i Instagram. had a, i did an unboxing video <laughs> i know unboxing
0: is out but i did it anyways um, so yeah, yeah it's, tell, it's, tell it's really us about sweet. this because this is a bit different than what you've done before
1: yeah um uh what it is is that uh, the purpose of the book is to, to go into the uh, what's called the, the NRC files, which is not just the NRC, but uh, the files of the Canadian government agencies, including the RCAF and the RCMP and National Research Council and a, and a few other uh, departments uh, where UFOs had been reported over the years up until about 1981 or so. They actually stopped doing it in 1995, mm-hmm. um, but... Um, uh, what happened with the cases at the end of each year is that the National Research Council's file on UFOs every year was transferred to Archives Canada, then called Archives Canada, now uh, uh, Libraries and uh, uh, Archives Canada, um, and they were available for examination by anybody um, to take a look in in the library, and so the uh, uh, what. Because there had been such an interest and in demand, and the topic of UFOs is is so popular, they actually digitized somewhere around nine thousand separate documents uh, from these files and uh, made them available online. And a uh, so number of people have have you know downloaded all nine thousand documents, but it uh, very few people had taken the time to actually look what was in the file and and really. Uh, bore into uh some of the interesting cases to, to mine the these documents uh for some of the interesting and, and worthwhile cases. Um a fellow named Matthew Hayes, I can't remember, I think you may have interviewed him. I can't Yeah, remember. he's
0: been on a a few times. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, he did his PhD thesis um on on this. Matter of fact, my review of his book uh, was just published last week. Uh and I made the point, it's not his book isn't a UFO book as such, it's more a book about what the Canadian government v- Uh, did with regard to the UFOs in dealing with the Canadian public. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't very complimentary. I mean, there's a sort of an antagonistic uh, approach. Um, But uh, uh, what I did is I, I, you know, uh, I I took a look at the cases themselves, went through every single uh, document and pulled out some of the more interesting cases because I think there's some interesting stuff in there that people should be aware of. There's cases by... RCMP officers. Uh, one RCMP officer um, had an object fly right over his, his car um, and uh, reported it. Uh, there are cases, uh, many cases of pilots. Um, there are many cases from, uh, from other really good observers. Uh, and the fact I included cases from the um, United States, from Project Blue Book. Uh, there's cases of things, um, artifacts found on the ground. I do talk a little bit about Falcon Lake and Shag Harbor and a few other interesting cases. But the point is that these uh, these are well documented. This comes directly from the official documentation that is, is available. Uh, it just has to be assembled in one place. and uh, So I, I take the, the
0: reader through some of the most interesting cases on record. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So it, when one reads your book, which is called Canada's UFOs Declassified? Declassified. Because uh, at one time, the, uh, most of these were classified in one form or another.
1: Uh, a number were classified secret. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, some were just simply called classified. So, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And when one reads it, do you have it organized kind of like by event? Like I've seen, um, I'm just thinking of Don Ledger has a book called Maritime UFO Files, where he's kind of broken up into three or four pages per sighting. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of how you arranged it? Yeah, I have it grouped in a number of different sections. Um, There's
1: one section, for example, on pilot sightings. There's one section on um, landing traces and marks oh, in the ground and things right. like that and and uh, very close, very, very close encounters. and um, uh, and then I have sections where i uh, I do indeed delve a little bit into what the government uh, view of UFOs was at the time and present the documents that were circulating among the uh, the various government departments. In fact, I think what sets this uh, book apart, Is that i think we've included something like 50 or 60 documents themselves i -hmm. I want readers to take a look at the documents and not just take my word for it when i describe what was seen but these are actually the documents uh that uh that really shaped uh how canada viewed ufos over the over the years Mm
0: -hmm. and i find going back to that era and looking at reports and considering the sightings something about that kind of time i find it, it it just hits differently than than contemporary and more modern reports. What is the reason that, or do you have any explanation for why we don't really have these classic cases popping up in Canada now, where instead we're often still going back to cases from the you know 60s, 70s, and 80s, I guess with the exception of the big ones in the US over the last few years.
1: Yeah, and one thing uh, I've seen quite a bit on UFO Twitter and, and a few other uh, social media, is that Canada has been doing nothing about UFOs uh, and uh, they've never been interested. And, in you know, the, the U.S. has been the, the leader in this. Well, Canada actually really did some in-depth, uh, really in-depth investigation into uh, into UFO cases. Certainly Falcon Lake is one, mm. uh, um, in some ways Shag Harbor, but there's a number of other cases where there's some pretty intense investigations uh, that went on. Uh, So uh, it's not fair to say that Canada didn't do anything. It's just that uh, uh, when it became so burdensome uh, that the amount of investigation you need to do on a particular case uh, was so overwhelming that eventually the people involved, you know, they were some of the scientists were were not doing it full time. Some of the Mm -hmm. scientists were, you know, doing their own work in astrophysics and engineering and so forth. And uh, they had to deal with these letters from uh, UFO witnesses and people demanding that they reveal everything. And uh, the attitude was if we kind of, if people knew a, a little bit more about, you know, misidentifications and clouds and weather and what planes look like, uh, you know, we wouldn't have a UFO problem. So that was the, the attitude they had. But at the same time, there's, there were some really good, high quality reports from observers like pilots um and and rcmp officers and other police uh that couldn't easily be explained or or uh, and oh that's the other thing in in the in the book i actually do um provide explanations uh you know if a i I call a spade a spade if in some cases you know the you know somebody had actually seen a balloon or a plane or something or a star i go to great detail great detail to explain why that's so Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other thing i was going to talk about in terms of um, uh, what's happening right now with regard to interest, and especially the recent Canadian stuff uh, where it was revealed that uh, there was a briefing to the Canadian Minister of Defense, Harjit Sejan, uh, last year, um, is that um, in the files of the National Research Council UFO uh, groups, uh, there actually is another briefing uh, that was prepared for uh, the, uh, uh, the assistant to the uh, Minister of Defense. Um, at that time it was Leo Kijue, because Paul Hellier had left it by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what had been done is that they prepared a briefing uh, that was going to go to the Minister of Defense, but it was prepared for his, associate, his assistant. And um, the, I pr- reproduced the entire briefing um, in the my book, 28 pages long. Um, and the only thing missing are the slides, which is interesting because the only thing we have from the briefing to Harjit Sajjan is the slides. Hmm. We don't actually know what the discussion ensued, but there's a 28-page briefing called the Robertson briefing, uh, not the Robertson um, committee report like people know about in the States, but the Robertson briefing in the States uh, uh, is very different. But the one in Canada uh, listed... Uh, six ufo cases which national defense in canada couldn't explain and um uh it you know there's an overview of what was happening in the states at the time discussions on how to investigate things uh, how best to present them to the public and so forth but they actually presented in fairly great detail six cases uh that, that national defense said these were the cream of the crop the absolute best cases um, and, uh, you know, this these are why we should be paying more attention to what's going on with regard to UFOs. And we don't have that in the United States, um, mm. necessarily. We we certainly don't have that from the recent briefings. We certainly don't have that from the UAP Task Force briefing. We don't know what cases were looked at. Uh, mm. You know, there's numbers thrown around 143 and 500 and, and all this sort of stuff, but we don't have that. But we do have this record in Canada that goes back, uh, you know, quite a few years and uh, when you actually look at, this, at these documents, you, you get the sense that, hey, there is something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily that there's alien ships flying around Canada, but the, the point is that there are some interesting cases that deserved scientific attention and for the most part, didn't get it. Mm, um, certainly. And uh, it's, uh, it's a very, very curious document
0: on uh, what was going on uh, unbeknownst to most people. Um, in the your book, I'm assuming is available everywhere. It's not one of those like through a university kind of thing, right? You, like, no, you no. This Amazon?
1: is on Amazon and the whole thing. Awesome. Uh, I know, actually, I've heard from people
0: who've already got it, so <laughs> it's around. I know you're you're always up to date with like modern cases and current cases whenever anything comes through me as far as a ufo report i pass it along to you have mm-hmm. you seen anything recently that that stood out to you as, as interesting
1: um well nothing that necessarily stood out but i have in my hands the most recent couple of cases here um uh, may 19th downtown vancouver on beach avenue if people know where beach avenue is uh 3 in the morning five seconds uh of an observation of an object that was described um, as a white half moon mm-hmm. moving very very fast no sounds uh it was going left across the sky looking south so going left so going east um, and then boom it veered really fast right and disappeared so this uh, uh was sent uh, into uh ufology research and the other one i thought was very curious uh this comes from thunder bay In Ontario, on Saturday, May the 21st, so a few days after that one, uh, it was observed for 10 minutes, uh, this Mm. person saw uh, three lights to the northwest, acting independently of each other, moving up and down, uh, 40 to 70 degrees from the horizon, then moving to southwest, then flickering out. Once one flickered out, another one would appear and travel across the sky to the same spot and flickered out with a total of seven or eight of them, dark orange no sound, Um, multiple people saw them, and they provided a video. Um, And, you know, uh, we assume most of the time that, you know, when you see orange lights flickering out and moving in the sky, you're talking about um, uh, uh, paper lanterns, you know, these uh, ceremonial lanterns, whatever. Uh, I've looked at the video. It, it, It doesn't look like that. Um, and yet I, I that's what I'm assuming they they would be, uh, you know, 10 minutes is about the length of time that people would put these things up. Hmm. Uh, although it's funny uh, that it would be up on uh, May the 21st, although that is Victoria Day. So that sounds, mm. sounds there would be like celebrations. Prior, right? Yeah, no yeah. hmm. so possible. And and if it's not for for Victoria Day, you know, people might have been out at the campgrounds um in parts of canada there's terrible floods going on right now
0: i don't know what's happening in thunder Bay. maybe they had a little bit better weather and could actually celebrate a little bit and have Mm. a picnic Uh, i saw one that was actually i think you may have shared this although i don't know if it originated from you this was shared in the ufos above canada discussion group on facebook um it was a silver-shaped uap spotted on may 21st in saint john's newfoundland uh the witness gives a i i don't know how this report made it to the Facebook group, but the witness has a, a paragraph or two describing it. I'll read it to you and you let me know what you think of sure. this one. So they say, uh, I was stopped at a traffic light at Memorial Stadium slash Dominion supermarket on Kings Bridge Road, looking south and directly in front of me, I noticed a very slow moving, bright silver, cigar shaped object about 1200 to 1500 feet up. No sound, no engines, no wings, no rotors, no windows, no markings or flashing lights but very slowly it moved west. I thought, if this is a plane of some sort, it would stall at that low speed. I saw it go behind some some tall trees and lost sight of it. A few seconds later, the stoplight turned green and I turned right onto Circular Road. And as I get past the tree, just west of the RNC horse barn on Circular Road, there it was again, stopped, almost hovering above the government house building. I pulled over and parked my car, Took out my Sony point and shoot camera from my waist pouch uh, <laughs> and got out to take some photos, videos, or audio, and it's gone. I looked everywhere in the clear sky and even walked across the road so I could scan the full sky and nothing. And this was they report they mentioned as well that they reported this to NAV Canada, but haven't received a response yet. They were they were posting about it online looking for other people who may have seen something similar on Saturday, May 21st, around 7 p.m. Uh, what, well, what do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean, the only thing is that um, even though something's moving in the sky um, that you think is fairly close, it could be very far away. Mm-hmm. And if it's very far away, you know, it, it could be just a matter of, you know, just a slight turn and then it's gone because the sunlight would be you know, uh, catching it from a different direction or something like that. So it's uh, it's possible, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to uh, uh, you know look at the report a little bit more. It would be nice if the witness came forward and rather reporting it to Nav Canada, um, reported it somewhere else. Curiously, even though that I'm the guy who's supposed to be getting all these reports according to the to uh, the various uh, documents and stories, I actually haven't received anything from. NAV Canada or uh, National Defence in about a year. Um, and yet we do know that there have been some uh, cases uh, that have been reported. NAV Canada, by the way, is is a non-governmental organisation, and you actually can't uh, submit access to information requests uh, to NAV Canada because... They're under no obligations to do so. Um, Transport Canada, yes, and certainly National Defence, but not NAV Canada. And there's some suggestion that there's somebody within NAV Canada who actually does look at these cases.
0: But it's true. It doesn't seem like anybody's investigating them right now. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and we just talking about like like the distance something is in the sky. As a layman, I would have no idea. If you pointed out something in the sky and said how high is that? I would say I have no idea. Yeah, so and you, and I kind fact- of take anything with with distance like that. Kind of with a grain of salt, I guess. I yeah, I don't know what the best way to explain that would be to someone.
1: Well, in fact, we proposed a number of years ago some interesting experiments um of uh, having people at night try to, to tell us how far away a light was, for example, because you often say, you know, I, I saw this orb and it was, you know, you know, only a hundred feet away or a mile away or something like that, uh, when in fact they're looking at a satellite that was seventy-five miles up in the you know, or seventy-five kilometers up in the sky, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, just to see how people's uh, judgment is in terms of UFOs, and then do the same thing during the day with you know other types of objects. So. Uh, it is very, very deceptive uh, uh, to you know to try and judge distances of things that are in the sky without any reference points. There actually is something called the moon illusion that uh, is taught in basic astronomy. When you look at the moon, full moon when it's rising uh, in the sky and then look at it when it's uh, directly overhead, um, it turns out you know people will overestimate the size of the moon. Well, you know, this moon was the size of a basketball or you know, it was a, it was this big or something like that. turns out that um, a Tylenol will actually cover up the moon if you hold the Tylenol at arm's length. <laughs> it's actually very small in terms of subtending a, an arc. And yet people have this idea that the moon is very, very large. Mm. Um, so it just goes to show that uh, no matter whether it's in the sky or at the horizon, it it doesn't subtend that much. But if it's close to the horizon, because we
0: have reference points, it seems larger. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like... It'll a lot of these problems that a witness would have with giving and coming up with an accurate explanation or description of what they've seen is a big part of the problem why, I assume anyway, why the government has a hard time of actually investigating an individual report. Even if today I saw the most amazing thing in in the sky above my house, the report that I would give them would be so full of errors because I'm just a civilian witness as far as, you know, the time I wouldn't know exactly. It was, you know, it was after supper, you know, how high it was, what, you know, what direction it was going north or south. I'd be like, I have no idea it was going you know, towards my neighbor's house. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But but that's what makes it like, I don't know how they can do a complete thorough investigation. And, and maybe that's why in the U S like some of the reports lately have been done by um, like military uh, targeting systems that give all of this data, so the the witness, like the fall- the, the errors or problems that a witness would have, are gone because the. The, the cameras that have filmed them, for example, like that Tic Tac sighting mm-hmm. or whatever, it, all the technical s- specifics are kind of built into the video. And we just I, I feel like in Canada, we need something like that to bring this from a bunch of people reporting things, maybe accurately, maybe not to like this is an issue that needs to be looked at and addressed.
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, the the new uh, office or whatever it is that's going to be looking at uh Uh, the uh, UAP in the night in the United States um, has stated explicitly that it's not really interested in anything other than instrumented uh, data Mm -hmm. uh, that's removing the witness from the uh, the equation Um, and you know there's there's projects right now where they're setting up uh, all sky cameras and and detection stations and so forth again to get rid of all that because uh, witness observations are are generally pretty poor however uh, EYEWITNESS OBSERVATIONS HAVE BEEN HISTORICALLY VERY USEFUL, AND I WOULD ARGUE THAT THEY'RE STILL VERY USEFUL. FOR EXAMPLE, WHEN Sputnik uh, WAS LAUNCHED IN THE, the 1950s, uh, THEY ACTUALLY RELIED ON uh, THE AVERAGE PERSON LOOKING IN THE SKY FOR SIGHTINGS OF IT uh, TO HELP THEM BUILD THEIR DATABASE OF ITS ORBIT AND THINGS LIKE THAT. Uh, THAT HAPPENED, uh, uh, YOU KNOW, IN A, in a NUMBER OF uh, OCCASIONS. Uh, in fact, um, even in the, during the duration of the National Research Council's meteoric uh, investigations, uh, they relied on witness observations to find meteorites. You know, uh, They relied on people reporting UFOs to the RCMP so they could sort of collaborate all the reports so they could find a meteorite that may have crashed onto the ground. Uh, it actually happened in 1973. Uh, so there are ways in which uh, witness observations, in fact, um, this idea of... Uh, plane spotting uh, is actually a real thing, Um, and when secret uh, American uh, aviation tech, aerospace tech are launched and fly over populated areas, or even uh, non-populated areas, they rely on uh, witnesses or or observers, good air observers, civilians, Uh, to, you know, to say, yeah, I saw this unusual thing. It had a contrail like this, and it lasted for this long, and it was this color. And they use those observations for intelligence. So eyewitness observations are not useless. They're actually pretty
0: valuable and give some additional insight into what's going on. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it up with that. But for people out there who want to find your book, so, you, you know, you mentioned Amazon, but I, where's the best spot for them to buy it that would benefit the author? Is it Amazon or? Uh, well, certainly the Amazon is one of them, but uh, um, this is actually
1: published by August Night uh, Press uh, in the UK, uh, which is a division of White Crow uh, Productions. And you can go to those websites, uh, but Amazon will, uh, will help me one way or another, too. Don't worry about it. All right.
0: Well, thanks for sharing your uh, your experiences and your knowledge of this, Chris. Always enlightening. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. I want to thank you for joining Chris and I for our discussion tonight. But before we part, I want to give thanks. First, a big thanks to Chris Rutkowski for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. Big shout-out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. And of course, the most important thanks of all goes to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is, and it has always been, an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, the premium feed will give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for both the price of a cup of coffee, help the show, give yourself more of it at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Kim, Brittany, and Christina. Thank you for going Premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, You can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting any like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone out there has a story idea, wants to give feedback on the show, would like to contribute their own personal UFO sighting, or simply share feedback in the form of a voice memo, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.
2: Um, I wanted to ask you actually something quite interesting that's happening in the United States. And again, I'm approaching this just... Uh, to, to see if this is something that's on your radar. Um, and it's a little bit of out of left field, so to speak. So if you'll just bear with me, but I think it's pertinent given now that- now we're doing
3: baseball metaphors. That's like right. this is really- so, uh, just, to be, this is yeah,
2: just to be serious uh, for a moment, the <clears throat> Director of National Intelligence of the United States uh, recently released a report concerning Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAP. The report discusses the military sightings of hundreds of these objects that exhibit, as it says, unusual flight characteristics. And as I'm sure you're aware, on Tuesday the United States Congress held its first congressional hearing on this in about 50 years. Uh, and during that U.S. Congressional hearing, the U.S. military officials said that um, the UAP represents a national security risk, particularly with the sightings around nuclear plants. So, again, I think on the face of this, certainly for me, it was it seems like a bit of a fringe area that's dominated by conspiracy theories. But given the United States recently has taken this very seriously, uh, the director of national intelligence is talking about this. Um, can uh, Do you feel that your government should be taking this as seriously as the American government?
3: Uh, I Ms. Dancho, I I saw some of the similar reports that you're referring to and um, I'm confident that uh, our national security apparatus looks at uh, all manner of of threats to our national security and...
2: Mm
3: -hmm. uh, Have you had any
2: briefings about UAP?
3: Well, uh, I think my my, uh, understanding of this particular aspect or, Mm -hmm. or phenomenon uh, is that it would likely fall uh, more under the portfolio of the Department of National uh, Defense, uh, which is, I think, uh, the the branch that that again would would likely have that that mandate. But but I guess the point that I'm really making, Ms. Dancho, is that um, our national security partners look for. Um, potential threats to our national security in in every dimension and as they arise uh, we get briefed and we share
2: but to we, date you have not been
3: briefed on this
2: you haven't had any on this particular phenomenon no on you okay and uh, CSIS is a, in your department is in your purview uh, which is of course Canada's national security organization that investigates suspected threats to Canada at home and abroad are you aware of any conversations CSIS has had with its U.S. counterpart on this
3: well, I know there's robust collaboration between mm-hmm. uh, our security communities, and uh, I would not want to speak for every possible conversation. That but none has that you're aware our, of. At this point, no, I'm not.
2: Um, the RCMP, as we know, reports uh, has a number of these reports that are public. Uh, and they pass them to NORAD. Are you familiar with this protocol?
3: Uh, again, I think Ms. Dancho, we're uh, moving into an area that is probably best uh, mm-hmm. put to uh, the specific officials because I don't want to uh, speak uh, about any conversations that they may have had with, with 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 partners on it, and as well, there may very well be some uh, conversations that have have been had, but I. You know, think those questions would be best put to them.
2: Okay, so you feel that the Department of National Defense should be the lead, and that RCMP and CSIS do not play a role.
3: I think there's collaboration among all those departments, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that, uh, specifically as it relates to intelligence, there's again strong lines of communication. Um, but from the reports that I've seen, that I and I don't, I'm not looking right. at the papers that you're looking at. Um, my understanding is that some ten of that seconds, is, please. Some yeah. of that work is being led by. Uh, defense in the right. United States. I would just
2: conclude, Mr. I, I would just, from an our partisan perspective, please uh, reach out to your U.S. counterparts to stay informed. Thank you.